episode five. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my friend uh, Josh. Josh, tell everyone where they can find you. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm a uh, producer and editor for uh, Podcast Without a Name, and uh, I also have my own radio show uh, on splashdamageradio.co.uk, where you can find me every Wednesday, in, uh, 8pm till 10pm GMT. Awesome. And I have with me today Miss Christina Randall. Uh, that's that's how you say that name, right? Miss Christina Randall? Yes, yes. Awesome. Um, I'm friends with her on Facebook. Um, just go ahead and introduce yourself, Miss Christina. Should I say a little bit about myself? Okay, so I'm Chrissy rather than Christina. I'm just a human right. being. Um, I originally come from Bulgaria, but now just um, in a lockdown in the UK, like a lot of people. And um, yes, we met on uh, Facebook uh, discussing various topics which is what i love to do yes yes and you know that's that's what this podcast is all about we just discuss anything and everything various topics it does not matter um so i do have a question for you are you um are you a a citizen of the uk or are you a citizen of bulgaria so i've been in the uk for 33 years probably oh 31 years sorry yeah longer than some people have been alive so yeah okay Alrighty, uh, I was just I was just curious because I had heard cases where people had um had traveled to foreign countries and they'd been stuck there since COVID, since the lockdown happened. I was just curious if that had happened to you. But you say thirty three years you've been in the UK? Yes, yes. Well, thirty years actually, thirty one. Uh, start. I came here when I was sixteen years old from Bulgaria, an ex communist country. What, uh, what was that like? The biggest culture shock that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, if you don't mind going into it a little bit, uh, I'm I, I'm very curious to hear about it. Oh, look, it's a long story now, but I guess they say you know the grass is never greener on the other side. They say the grass is always greener, but it's it's just an illusion. The grass is never greener as we take ourselves with us, no matter where we go, and. I came from Bulgaria already quite damaged by conditioning, by various abuse and mistreatments in the hands of other fearful adults. And coming to England, I just brought myself with me and I had to go through that process. So the first 15 years in this country was literally learning about the ills and the sickness of society as I got to experience it firsthand myself. And I went through domestic violence, homelessness, drug addiction, prison. <laughs> um, yeah. My goodness. But all is well that ends well. And this is why I'm fascinated so much by this. Uh, uh, yes. It, it, my, my heart goes out to you. It sounds like you've had, a, you've had a hell of a time. Pardon my French there. <laughs> it was. It was hell on earth. Um, but from there came my biggest lessons, my deepest wisdom, my uh, most big, uh, you know, abundance and everything else I could possibly um, want for in my life. So it wasn't, it's not what really happens to us, it's what we do with what happens to us. It's even more important. And I think it's what I did with all that trouble and all that suffering. I turned it, I went into education, I got myself a psychology degree, God bless the West, <laughs> because you can come back <laughs> from the bottom of the abyss and I think England is a brilliant country for that. I will always be grateful. 
So, yeah, I was able to get myself back and now be working in the field and helping other people. Right, and a lot of people seem to have um, sort of a glorified idea of what um, what communism is. And you, you say you come from Bulgaria. That was a communist country, I'm correct? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the hardest supporters of Russia back in the day, apparently. I, I see. Um, what, were, what were conditions like? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes, especially from America, I hear a lot of uh, statements on communism, and this is usually by people who have never lived in it. As young people right. and growing up, everything was maybe in a sense the same is happening in the world now, but everything was propaganda. Everything we were fed, any bits of information was seriously censored. We were, you know, even in our history lessons, we were told lies upon lies. So we had a whole generation and a couple of generations growing up with a huge confusion because they lied to us um, on so many levels. We were persecuted by the police, you know, I remember being beaten up as a teenager by the police simply for speaking against, you know, we were not allowed uh, to have opinions um, highly monitored by the police. I mean, this was back in the day when there, there wasn't um, uh, internet and there was no technology the way it is now. Right. Uh, wh what year was this? So I left just as communism was collapsing, 1990. I came over to okay. England, so, um And the collapse of communism wasn't much better. So I'd, I'd say any human system is simply broken because the people in it, there's always going to be somebody who wants to be built the rest. There'll always be right. somebody who wants to control. So. Communism, we were very poor, everybody had to work um, and we all got our little holidays every summer as families. So they would give the people the, the minimum they wanted to just keep them from uprising. <laughs> right. I don't know if that makes sense, but... It definitely does make sense and it seems like, um, it seems like that's, a, a lot of that's happened in a day. You know, it, they're, they're given just enough to keep people happy so they won't rise up. Uh, that's my opinion. How do you feel about that? Yes, I love your questioning. I love the way you... No, absolutely. Um, the only thing, and I very often joke about this, is that at least with, with communism, everything was out in the open. There was no illusions of choice. There was no illusions, right. you know, there was no commercialism in the sense that you see in the West. And I think the only difference was that in, in the capitalist system, there is more of a pretense. There is a more of right. everything being done more as a... So communism... Communism sort of wants to stab you in the front, whereas capitalism stabs you in the back. Would you Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think communism communism was more in your face, uh, kind of right. um, brainwashing. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Very good. So, so you say it was a real big um, culture shock coming over to um, England. C could you explain that one? Oh, well, the English, I mean, I don't know if I would have had as much of a shock maybe going to America, but the um, English culture and the English uh, mentality, and I love uh, England. Uh, they've been the making of me as well as the breaking of me. <laughs> but it's a country <laughs> where there, there isn't huge amounts of emotional expression. There isn't a lot of feedback. So nobody seems to feed back to each other as much as I was maybe used to. You know, I would either rather be told I'm doing badly or maybe amazingly well, but... There is this uh, very much of a different way of expressing and communicating between people. Um, so, so would you say that the the um, the British were more um, stoic than you were used to? 
less uh, communicative. Stoic um, is a different. I've understood a lot more about the English, obviously, over the last 30 years, and I love them. And I'm writing a book about my experiences with the English coach and the English people. But I got to learn about the English and their council estates and their ghettos in brackets. And I got to learn things about England that most people never report back. And I literally um, am reporting from the streets of England, from the council estate and the apparent, the sort of ghettos of this country. And it's a giant in a sense, but very, very rotten from the inside. It is not in a sense, it's very sick. It's a very sick mammoth. I could just see it as a very sick mammoth if I was to have a symbol represent, symbolic representation of this. I see you, this, this massive thing that's um, sort of bloating and kind of festering from the inside. Yes, 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 perfectly. Absolutely well, beautifully expressed. There is as much as it is an ugly picture, but yeah. So what's some of the stuff that you saw there on the ground? That you say you saw this um, like sort of festering, this, this putrefaction in a sense. Yeah, it's almost the dark world, the the underbelly. I always used to call it the underbelly of the dog, you know, would, because I have also since worked in the criminal justice system and I've worked in voluntary in the voluntary sector where we support those most vulnerable parts of society. But there is not only I mean I experienced huge sort of poverty and, and suffering on the streets of England, but there is what I found was seems to be a very deciding point is that curiosity. There is no curiosity, Lucas. I don't know, I'm trying to say different things than what you normally hear about England, but it's almost, let's say I come from Bulgaria, maybe, you know, you think of the East and other parts of the world where education is really valued. Well, I saw huge, huge strata of society that valued, that do not value education in under any shape or right. form. There isn't curiosity here. In all the towns that have been so rarely, if people ask me, Tell me about Bulgaria, you know, who are you? Or the way even you asking questions now. Nobody asks questions here now. But um, yeah, the, um, I could talk to you about this for hours, actually. I mean, I can imagine the sort of um, the, the horror or even like frustration at seeing education as such a um, such a valuable thing that everyone wants, you know, back in Bulgaria. But when you come here and people don't care about, you know, they, they just want TV and booze or something like that, you know, uh, it's a squandering of, you know, a, a gift. And I can definitely understand why that would frustrate you. And this is what saved me from the streets. And I remember being sent to prison for three weeks. And even in prison, they encourage you to attend courses and do education. And then as soon as I came out, the probation service offered me courses. And this is how I ended up at university a year later. And I think that's, you know, in terms of keeping an open mind, it's the future for any generation, any community, is just keeping that curiosity towards life and all the other things we can be learning. Uh, but I saw this poverty of mind, Lucas, is the one thing that struck my mind is the poverty, struck my sort of mind and heart, is the poverty of, there's no curiosity. There's just this lack, you know, like in America, maybe in a general, obviously we're generalizing hugely here least anyone gets upset but you have a lot right. more of this accept and loud um, sort of you know let's put it all out in the open and talk about it and i think uh, the lack of uh, you know the generational suppressing of emotions in this country has suppressed um you know a beautiful you know whole generations here as i'm sure we see it everywhere. 
Right, because there's, there's no desire for education. There's no curiosity, and there's no communication. It's all uh, misinformation. They're fed lies, and they're, they're taught to shout at one another. You know, divided is better. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, God, I mean, I'm, I'm, in my book, I'll be writing about the council estates of England because that's a whole new... You know, we talk about the ghettos, but at least some people have passion. It's when everyone loses the passion, they become scary. Oh, right, because they, they, they become complacent. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're, they're ready to accept this. They don't care. Yeah, 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 and this is where learned helplessness is then sort of cultivated instead of curiosity towards life and resilience. Yeah. Right, well, well play, playing the victim. Playing the victim has become um, sort of sort of the thing to do now. It's what's in, it's what's fashionable. It's, you know, every, everyone wants to play victim. You know, nobody wants to take uh, responsibility for this or that, you know? Um, yeah, that, that's exactly, and, uh, you very sort of neatly brought that to my, you know, favorite subject, but uh, yeah, the victim mentality, the learned helplessness, it's a major, major pandemic. This is the real pandemic that started a long time ago. And uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe in this country, maybe in England, it's a lot worse because they've had the NHS, uh, the National Health Service. They've had the Department of Works and Pensions that gives them money, you know, from the moment you're born until the moment you die. You could never work. You just live your life so you never had to work. And, you know, we're seeing now third generation of, of these uh, people. So I don't know if it's the same in other countries. I'd love to go to other countries and live there and see what's going on. Because I can only speak right. to England, really. I would say that it is much the same here in America. Um, again, th these are generalizations, but it is it is fairly similar here in America as well, if not worse, because um, we certainly do have an obesity problem. And when it's hard to lift yourself up, it's hard to do anything. So I, I think a lot of people go to this this victimhood because it it means they don't have to do anything, and they're happy with that. Oh my god, I mean, obesity is another one of my favorite subjects because I was uh, diagnosed as severely obese back in the day. So again, you know, that's another big psychological also subject we could touch on, you know, just... Is it? Yeah. Okay, could you, could you go into that? I'm actually curious. Uh, obesity is like a psychology problem? Well, of course, of course, of course. I mean, there is so many schools of thought, but I'm very much of the school of thought that um, all physiological... Most physiological concerns have psychological beginnings. You know, it all begins inside the body, um, inside the mind, the, the guts, it's everything is connected inside anyway, but... Right. Um, so I was um, severely, I was quite, I was diagnosed as severely obese at seven, and it literally colored the rest of my life. Even when I was a, a, an anorexic drug addict, I was still in my eyes, you know, I developed a body dysmorphic disorder because of these labels. And many years later, as I went into psychology in general, I discovered that uh, putting on weight is a form of protection. It's a form of psychological protection. That's why you find a lot of children, you know, as they're growing up, they're having this little extra weight because this is the extra sort of protection layers. And as they leave home, they tend to sort of then lose weight and get hardened up by life. You know, there's not, none of that's right. anymore. Is it sort of like... Um... Maybe a learned thing that we just um, had ingrained, ingrained in us through generation after generation. Um, 
you know, just to just to pack on this weight because you never know when you may eat again. You know, back to that primal animalistic. Exactly, you know. exactly. And even my son, you know, I'm, I'm now in at 47. I'm very uh, fit. I'm, you know, doing all the training. But I watch my little, my 18 year old, and he's a chunky, chunky guy. And I know it's because mother feeds him. So I think it's a general sort of again conditioned thing that food has always been the one comfort that we find. Food has always been the place where we share, we you know, we commune with people. Right, because it, it's it's life, it's it's life. Because food means that you get to see the next sunrise. You know, means mm. means the difference between whether you win or the next person a few miles away wins. Exactly, it's exactly. Little skinny babies never survived. You know, I'm looking at some of the chunky my children that I know, and I think, well, thank God I understand. You know, this whole illusion about being skinny. That's not even the point. The point is to be healthy, but we should be allowed to have that little chub and be allowed to be, you know, growing into our own bodies. And I think it's when we get right. stamped with these labels and with the marketing then and coming in, coming in with commercialism, this is when the sickness starts. You know, you can see right. a bit of the beautiful conditioning and uniting over food, bringing marketing. We've been deceived. Right, because commercialism and marketing it preys on those sicknesses it preys on weaknesses in the mind because it it plays with your thoughts and forces you into buying these things not literally ultimately the i mean the, the choice comes down to you but it, it definitely has a sway and an influence on your mind of course of course and when you don't have then on the other side if you don't have the right models i was lucky enough to be born in with a yogi father so he was extremely spiritual and or conversed in all nutrition and yoga and yet I was the fat kid. Sorry to use that expression, but can you can you imagine being born into this world and he would feed me all this information and yet at the same time you know my mother on the other side would feed me all this food. So <laughs> between these two worlds, yeah. Um everything in moderation. I could tell you horrendous stories about my beautiful yogi dad into fasting. You know, that in itself could become a sickness. So it's all about, you know, balance. I learned right. you get fed all these commercial lies and yeah, yeah, very, very. Well, it's because it's because we're trained to buy. Okay, that's all we. That's what we're supposed to do is buy, buy, buy. Did you break it? Buy another one. Don't repair it. Don't worry. Just keep buying. Okay, because buying stimulates economy. Economy means we get more money. We make more stuff for you to buy more stuff from us, and we get more money. Continue to cycle. Please feed us. Buy more stuff. And we're, we're trained to do that. I know, I know. And we didn't have so much uh, commercialism in the East. But you go back now, you go to Bulgaria now, and it become almost a little clone of the West with the big malls. The little villages still have the little horse and carts, no internet. But you have, you know, the big malls and people spending money. And it's just, yeah, such an illusion. Right. It, it's because they got wise to the fact that capitalism equals money <laughs> so they um they decided to to copy the homework a little bit <laughs> well i mean seeing as we're bouncing from subject to subject um i never understood real money lucas never understood banking i was always appalled at the idea of you know what is going on with the banking system and um, i've just right. um you know the whole thing about money and what we're fighting for for just pieces of paper because there's no value there is no value to right. this stuff. So unless we find the value inside ourselves and invest in cryptocurrencies, probably um, the future of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely, 
I definitely believe cryptocurrency is the future. We we certainly need to look into it more, fund it more, make it more available to people. Yeah, yeah. because I'm starting. I've started on a bit late, but I'm going through all the available information online. I'm educating myself about the decentralized bank banking. I hate bankers, but I don't mind decentralized banking. <laughs> I think I'm gonna right because it, it's all you. It's all you. All your information's there. It's all yours. You can only. You can share it if you like, but it's hidden. It's yours. It's private. God, it'd be so interesting to see what happens there, yeah, as the future goes. I think we're going to get a lot of pushback, and we're probably going to see a lot of smear campaigns and stories about Bitcoin being dangerous. And I'm sure, you know, like anything, it's a great tool for, you know, it, it's a it's a tool for great good, but it's also a tool for great evil. <laughs> it just depends on how you use it. And. I, I think it goes back to the um, the Silk Road. Have Have you ever heard of the uh, the the thing the thing online with um, Dread Pirate Roberts and the Silk Road? Oh, um, I know about the Silk Road, but I think I was talking about the original Silk Road. No, 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 <laughs> no, not not the not the original one. It was an um, it was an online sort of uh, forum where people could trade goods and services. Mm -hmm. um, privately and they paid with bitcoin this was a, this was like the first major use of bitcoin um and this is kind of sort of the thing that got bitcoin on the map was you know its use in this uh, scenario and People could mine bitcoins at the time and things is there anything to do with that no no it what uh they hadn't figured out mining yet they just knew that it was a private way to transfer funds from one place or another okay. um and the uh, the Silk Road was, you know, it was meant to be private. And no one could see your information, and a lot of people use this for um, drug smuggling, for, um, for uh, the drug trade, um, and then worse stuff happened. Mm -hmm. You you would have human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So what happened with the darknet? Weapons. Right, right. What about the beginning? Was it Silk Road? Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm just my brain is just going. Bing. <laughs> but you, you say these uh, these illnesses and like these sicknesses of society. W when you say this, what do you like specifically? What are you talking about? Oh God, I think in some places, you know, some people think I'm absolutely mad. But um, oh, which of the many comments I've made about the sickness of society? But I only see one sickness. It's literally the learned helplessness. The learned helplessness is the sickness right. of society. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Complacency. The the like. <laughs> The lack of will. Uh, not the lack of will, just uh, believing, believing like we have been fed to believe that we are helpless. Believing that we're helpless. Right. This is it. It's not even real. It's it's not real because it's learned. I've worked with people for 14 years, supporting people from nothing. Now I work with long-term unemployed, trying to get them back into work and education. And it's always that, right. that belief that you can't do it. That's learned helplessness. And that is right. the ultimate sickness. Yeah. It's almost like a like a mental cage, like a prison around your your brain that's telling you you can't go beyond this. Just accept it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, acceptance again. That's another subject that we can sit and cover. It's a fine line between learned helplessness and acceptance. It's it's actually it's a big difference between learned helplessness and acceptance, because with acceptance you actively intelligently understand what's going on, understand that this is the only way it can be, and you accept it and you're at peace with it. Where learn helplessness, it's like, oh, I can't do it, I've got to go to ask, as you said, the victim mentality. 
you know, as you said, ah, cool thing about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, that victim. Uh, but again, it's the drama triangle because the victim could very easily turn into a persecutor, turn into a rescuer. And this is where this beautiful drama triangle that always go on about comes into play. Okay. But yeah. Um, okay, so the, the drama triangle is victim, persecutor, rescuer. Rescuer. And actually, um, just to be, I mean, I do come, I did do, I did study for a while and you always think, oh my God, I don't want to say anything and have the wrong name or, you know, plagiarize. So, uh, but the, it's, it's Karpman, Karpman drama triangle, Karpman with a K. If anyone ever sort of wants to look at that, but it's, it has actually informed not only my own psychological or behavioral patterns, but the whole of creation, the whole of humanity. You can see we are stuck in this, even now with the recent COVID and with the recent sort of political climate that you, you know, not political, I would say, what climate would you call it with COVID and everything, the way that the whole world is suffering? international I, I would honestly say it is somewhat of a political climate um other, other than that i would call it downright dystopic i mean we're we're in sort of i mean it's a pandemic it's not quite an apocalypse but it's pretty close i mean you got people dying you got this indivisible thing killing everyone and we're being told you know we're, we're having our livelihoods taken away we're being forced to stay inside. It's not, it's not so bad here in Texas, but you know, in other places in the world, it's horrible. Yeah, you know? yeah, even in the UK, and now people are attacking each other for the differing. Again, you can see the victim, which is let's say you people dying from COVID, the NHS nurses complaining that everyone is dying, and then you got the persecutor, people attacking each other for not having the vaccine or having different views or not believing everything they're being fed, uh, and then right. you got the rescuer, which could be the media. Can you see how easily deception can be fed into this triangle? Because wherever there is a victim and a persecutor, there's always the rescuer who joins into the drama triangle. And instead of offering real right. solutions, they just offer more drama and perpetuate this constant triangle of suffering, really. I call it. Right. It, it kind of reminds me of um, um, instead of instead of the drama triangle as persecutor, rescuer, and um, victim, it's more like. Uh, the, the way I'm visualizing it is a sheep, sheep, dog, and wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, let, let's not offend animals by liking them to humans. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess if you see them in their worst traits, because this drama triangle, it's only about when people are not conscious. So the moment you become conscious, you know, and get out of the victim mentality, for example, you understand you have more, a lot more power. So you never join into these drama triangles again when you see them and right. everywhere if you look in your day-to-day -day interactions you will see them all the time from professional to personal there's always going to be someone who, who goes oh my god you know why me and there'll be somebody to goes wow because it's, he should have been different you know which is the persecutor and then the rescuer would come in and oh poor you you know and give the sort of right. joining <laughs> Anyway, but look out for that. Now that we're talking about that, this victimhood I'm seeing now is when you play the victim, you don't have to shoulder the responsibility. You can just be like, oh, I'm just being persecuted. I'm just being oppressed. So you don't ever have to be wrong. You don't ever have to accept that you're wrong. It's everyone else is wrong and I'm right because I'm the victim. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's a very a place of high standing, isn't it? It's a, base, a place of high moral standing if you look at it. You know, I'm the victim here. How dare you patronize me? You know, I'm the victim. Very much, very much so. A lot of my clients find it very difficult 
when I tell them that. And they say, how dare you call me the victim? You persecuted you. You know, they make me, they, they sort of, they are the victim even just in thinking about it. But yeah, um, it's a fascinating thing to sort of observe. And it comes from yeah. childhood, you know, the more, but the more aware we become, the more, the less drama we need to invite into our lives. And when we get out of this triangle and stop it in ourselves, we stop other people from treating us that way, you know? Right. And that that's, that's why people need to take agency for the, for their life and for their actions. You know, you can't just go through life and just play the victim all the time. You need to, you need to actively try to participate in your own life man hallelujah for the lack of better expression absolutely it's what i'm trying to get into my 18 year old son's head that you know you've got rights but you've got responsibilities and you know as long as you're accountable for your parts no matter what you do even if you are behaving like um a silly fool stand up and be counted say oh i'm so sorry behave like a fool move on you know we don't have to get we can be accountable and you know it might take a little bit of embarrassment every now and again and learning is always a little bit tricky but yeah, right but that embarrassment that embarrassment and that humility is there for a reason it keeps you from becoming this um this this egotistical person it, it reminds you that it's not just about you there are other people exactly exactly lucas i mean you know i don't i sometimes don't bother asking people how old they are or anything else but you you know i thought you were quite a, a young man and you just you know you're making such beautiful reflections there you know encouraging this conversation thank you for this it's helping no me problem here. um uh, and if, if you were curious i'm 21. oh my really wow yes ma'am yes ma'am i'm old enough to be a mother lucas 21 well that gives me a lot of um of hope and a lot of faith i mean I, I don't necessarily agree with hope but i trust i trust your generation and i see my son he's more of your generation and I really trust that you're gonna break the moods. I'm very worried for our generation because I feel like we're we're walking a tightrope. It's it's a very close call between are we gonna be the ones that break the world or make the world? Are are we gonna are, are we gonna fail ultimately, or will will we open our eyes? Will we stop? playing victim and use all this information we have all the you know all the access to everything we have and will we make it better or will will our complacency let it fall into despair will we become dystopic or will we make it nearly utopic I, i'm very worried because i honestly can't tell i'm torn god my son is having the same reflections he's a philosophy student you know he had big sort of we, we talk about this all the time and um, all I can say is because from what I see and from what I understand as a different generation, every generation since time immemorial has gone through very similar musings so very similar almost um, and yet each generation is very special and they all have their own sort of mm, game, their own role to play in the evolution of mankind. This is how I see it. And, there is no rights or wrongs, and I think your generation things happen a lot faster because you have everything much at your disposal. You know, in order for me to investigate anything, it would take me months to gather all the information back in the day. You know, you've got everything at your disposal, and you've got a lot more of you who seem to be waking up, who seem to be going, wait a minute, I'm not into the TV and the car, and um, 
you know, fixed back and the painted nails. And there is a balance and I'm seeing that. There is an equal balance of both. I don't think that, you know, the, I trust that you peaceful warriors are going to outweigh all the commercial victims. I, I hope so as well. And that that's a big part of what I'm trying to do with this here. It, it may never pick up. It could, you know, people could enjoy it. But w what I'm trying to do is have these conversations and make people think, make people slow down and stop these shouting matches, make people actually try to sit down, pull themselves out of victimhood and hash it out. Talk, okay? Don't shout. Listen. Don't, you know, ignore. We need discourse, otherwise the polarization is going to rip us apart. Absolutely. Oh my God, you're so speaking. I just had to go very silent within you. Just so speaking my language. It's all about just co-creating, cooperating, um, joint effort, joint right effort, you know? Oh my God, I trust whatever, everything that you're creating is going to go absolutely beautifully for all concerned uh, look at all the marketing techniques look at psychology they've got a lot of marketing and as you say the same as crypto it can be used to deceive and rob people it's the same with marketing techniques and power persuasion it can be used to persuade people for the better so do check out you know advertise market i've realized the i have realized even on a personal level the beauty of genuine marketing you know if you are genuine get the marketing get spread the news out there you know um, don't be afraid <laughs> um I, I am afraid honestly I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about that I'm I'm afraid because I'm not that great with people necessarily I, I feel like I'm not that great and I, I'm I'm introverted I'm sort of uncomfortable around a lot of people and uh, I'm trying to break myself of that. It's, it's a bad habit the way I'm looking at it, but it's it still it still has me worried because well, there's things that I want to do, but what if I mess it up? And I, what if I make myself look foolish? Then nobody wants to listen to an idiot. And I'm just like I said, I'm I'm, I'm worried that yeah, yeah. I'm gonna mess it up. Right. Don't believe everything that you think. You know for sure because you're very bright. You sound like you're a very intelligent young man. And but the, the smarter we are, sometimes the harder it is not to believe everything that we think. So just gently, gently tell yourself uh, some of these doubting thoughts to just leave by the back door. Um, I very often talk to myself, <laughs> especially in lockdown, I can be heard muttering to myself to shut up whenever a um, stupid, useless thought comes into my brain and tells me, oh, who are you to be trying this? Who do you think you are that people might be interested in what you've got to say? And actually, people are desperate leaders. People are going to need leaders, but true, genuine leaders that come from compassion and empathy. Yeah, and this is what I'm doing in my world. No doubt, this is what you're doing in yours. So keep going, keep going. It's certainly the goal. I hope it works. I certainly hope it works. And you, you talked about your psychology major. Yeah, 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 and just my, well, that's been my passion for the last sort of, I'm going on to 17, 18 years now, so. What what was it that drew you to psychology? Um, Actually, just recovery. I just wanted to know why would some people turn to drug addiction like I did previous to that, and why would some people not? I just wanted to know why are we different, and I did find out. <laughs> I know now. 
I know why we're different, but I also know that we're all exactly the same at the core. And there is a room right. that you can, you know, reach with people and communicate. But ultimately, it was my own suffering that led me to want to know what's going on. Why are we behaving the way we do? Do you think um, this this victimhood that people are going into? Do you think do you think it's a cause of mental health, or do you think the victimhood um, causes the mental health? Oh my God, the chicken or the egg? I mean, we have been conditioned right. for thousands of years, so we are generationally conditioned to believe a lot of these false principles you know of needing somebody to always speak us up of not being capable of always having to go to somebody who knows better to the experts you know especially as modern day society has developed all these experts that we now have to pay and think they know better than we do about us right. and some of these um which causes which <laughs> yeah i think it's been bred into us um, it's been burning to us and then the more signals we see to show us how helpless we are the more we we just need role models you know a lot of us are bright enough to spot the signs and we realize it's not true none of this is true no, this is lie I'm powerful beyond anything I ever believed and if anybody had have told my little seven-year-old how amazing and bright and clever and powerful and healing that was I would have had a completely different life you know Right. I maybe wouldn't have wasted all these years rather than just, you know, and I think it's a story many of us have to tell. Um, yeah, and I think it's again, it's a cash 22. It's all a self-feeding. It's a self-feeding process. Victimhood creates, um, you know, that sort of mentality and then it perpetuates. It just feeds on itself and it's very hard stepping out of it it takes you know you have to drop all your identity and i know people that the whole identity is their sickness you know if they dropped if they suddenly became healthy they wouldn't know what to do with it themselves right and i think that that fear of the unknown is what is a big part of what is keeping people in this victimhood because it if i'm not this then what am i and that i mean that's even even my own fears just of um like growing up and being you know an adult you know i i don't have any answers <laughs> parents adults you know all I, I think all the way even even towards the end of your life nobody really has any answers mm -hmm. and a lot of people a lot of people want for an easy life where they don't have to choose where their decisions are made for them. And I think that's why people choose this victimhood and they just say, you know, yes, give me the bread and circuses, you know. Um, or, you know, that's why people choose military because, you know, it's dictated for you. You don't have to choose. Just, it, it's simpler that way. You don't have to worry. That stress and anxiety is gone. Yes, yes, the safety of the box. The safety of the perceived, you know, the perceived safety of the box. Oh, right. Lucas, again, you've touched on a very sort of huge, huge subject there about accepting the impermanence of our, of our sort of whole existence. And I think this is where the unknown, uh, this is where a lot of our pathological fears and a lot of the sicknesses and mental health, as you said, uh, is caused by just this uh, resistance, resistance to life, what life is. And life was never meant to be a static it was never meant to be in a box and it changes the only constant and i think is that symbolically is that struggle against change in the in the human mentality that causes victimhood and 
mental health and schizophrenia even in some cases have seen. Right. And it, it, it causes our progress. It causes everything to stagnate because change is the only constant, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you, if you want to try to stop change, if you want to try to stop this forward momentum, it causes a lot of issues. And it's, um, it's very reminiscent of a, uh, a, a video game. I love the, the, the story and the lore behind the video game is so beautiful. And it talks about exactly this, um, these ages are meant to come and go. You know, you're supposed to have an age of light and an age of dark. But this guy that created an age of light, he doesn't want it to end because he's scared of the dark. So he does everything in his power to um, to stop the age of dark from coming. And it causes the world to fall apart. It causes time to unravel. It causes all kinds of issues just because this man feared change. Oh, that's quite a profound sort of idea. I mean, my son is a gamer and I love the whole idea that you can, your imagination on the screen, you know, you can see things beyond anything you could ever imagine just in games. But what an interesting concept. Again, Oscar Wilde wrote about this in, I think, the picture of Dorian Gray, wasn't it? When, yeah, it's almost trying to resist anything, just make a complete ugly mess of everything. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's better to accept that changes and it, it's it's inevitable and we just you know like we were talking about the difference between victimhood and acceptance acceptance is different from complacence because you accept that everything is moving and you know you have to keep up with it otherwise if you slow down if you put the brakes on progress it's going to stagnate and we'll be back to dark ages mm. killing each other with sticks and stones because you know as above so below they say um and i just watched recently this in my perfect relationship you know for 11 years i had this beautiful beautiful relationship i never experienced love and support in the way i have this man helped me raise a beautiful son you know i look at my 18 year old now and i think oh my god he's just i would love to know him as a stranger you know i'd love to meet him and get to know him um right i felt that if i'd have stayed in that a beautiful safe interaction i was resisting the very change that was going to propel me into whatever other service and i almost cried you know i cried when i had to leave the comfort we're still best of friends and it's all beautiful but you know sometimes even these seemingly wonderful things need to end in order for the next right. level you know so that so some some of the best blessings come out of the biggest biggest fears and biggest challenges you know that's what i'm saying and that's that that to me is one of the one of the greatest human struggles that has ever lived you know having to having to ignore what we feel and having to ignore what we want versus what we know we need it's 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 our logical software having a, a dispute with the biological and instinctual hardware. We feel this is the right thing to do, and it's painful when we do what we know is necessary rather than what we feel is necessary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to stay in the safety of this beautiful interaction where I would have been forever looked after and forever told how beautiful I am every day and how loved I am. And it was 
do you know it's so bizarre you've made me understand you know even more insight into my own self this evening thank you so much Lucas um, I hope we can, no problem we could talk some more but I'll be keeping an eye uh, a lot more on your on, on your posts and everything you share because you're no wonderful. no problem and I I really appreciate you sharing your story with me I I, I very much love listening to it it's it's an experience I think unique to compared to anything I've ever heard at least it's it, it's your own personal history and we all have them and I love hearing people's personal histories the things that they go through that no one else knows yeah I think the older I get the more sort of not Buddhist I'm not having Buddhist tendencies but I'm more becoming into oh well you know this too should pass so oh well it is what it is <laughs> but when you're right. young and just coming up and sort of starting life I guess it's a it's a whole new and I made so many mistakes in my life obviously through being an abused kid um you know struggling massively in the communist world knowing fully well as an empath than being lied to all the way so who knows maybe your discomfort I was thinking about what you said earlier maybe when you shared that sometimes you're not sure about people it's you picking up on their discomfort I realized a lot through my life was spent picking up on other people's discomfort and none of it was real. None of it seemed real almost. Because like an empath. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you're picking up on the almost, nobody knows how to be real and everyone is afraid, but as the empath, you end up picking up on that unrest and the anxieties in others, which also, you know, amplifies our own. Um, right, and you, you, you can feed on the, um, for lack of a better word, uh, the the vibe of a room mm -hmm. you you walk in and you just you feel how like, you can feel it you can feel people's emotions and then we internalize it and if you create you know just be careful you know because i have the feeling like that as long as we don't internalize it and make it about us this is the mistake i made. Right. I picked up all this pain and suffering everywhere and i made it about me i thought it was my fault <laughs> that's how we started my early days yeah it's a matter of not being a victim to your environment, not letting your surroundings affect you. What is it if we blame ourselves? Are we still a victim? We're still in the victim mode, but what sort of victimhood are we playing? You know, when we're blaming ourselves rather than the world, because that, that's what I struggle with. It's it's a it's it's a sort of self depravity. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's all my fault. It's it's depression is what it is in, in a sense. It's you're saying um all. All my faults and all my problems are due to me, but you you don't do anything. You don't actively try to do anything to change it. You just say, "Oh, it's my fault," and you fall into victimhood. You're like, "Oh, it's my fault." Oh, how many twenty-year-olds have heard say, "Well, that's it. That's my life now," and they think that this, you know, it's all everything is their fault and they can never change now. And uh, it's amazing how many people sort of think that, but we can change at any point, at any time. Right. Um, but yeah. I just want to say, please, if you ever feel free, you know, I've worked with, um, yeah, if you ever feel, if you ever want to uh, call me, uh, just off the record or just for a chat or for any advice, unbiased opinion, don't ever um, hesitate, yeah? I'm always available. Excellent. Excellent. I, I very much appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And um, same same goes for you. If you ever need to talk, just send me a text i'm always always happy to help anyone i do trust you for some reason i do trust your generation a lot there's a lot of brain power there's a lot of like emotional openness there's a lot more emotional vulnerability that i've seen in right. in different and i know that age is not important and i never used to think age was important 
but it's been interesting to observe the different generational differences. And I love the right. madness and the open vulnerability of your generation. Um, we we certainly have um, we have we certainly have the greatest potential, whether for good or evil. We have the greatest potential. Oh my God, guys, keep it all together, beautiful twenty-somethings. You know, hold <laughs> come to the forty-something for advice when you need it, um, and keep going because you know we we've got we trust in you. <laughs> we trust in you. Oh, and I speak speaking on behalf of our generation. I greatly appreciate y'all's as well. I mean, without y'all, you know, we wouldn't have what we have. Y'all, y'all, y'all laid the foundation for us. Yeah, for better or worse, you know, even for the worse, all for the better. Yeah. Right, for better or worse, whatever whatever state the world is in, yeah. it, it, we wouldn't have this potential had it not been for y'all. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I right. remember many years ago, I uh, wrote a tiny poem, but I was just wondering whether I was going to remember the whole thing. Um, oh, life could be brilliant fun. Don't you worry. It's not all high mountains to cross and deep rivers to swim. Just chill out and enjoy. You're not in a hurry. And if life was a cup, make it full to the brim. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, do you just... Um, you're very, you know, my mind is racing because we've sort of touched on so many concepts and even just on one of these topics, you could sit and start a discussion, you know. Pick whichever one you, you so desire. I can talk about anything. Uh, so how about in just in in terms of today? Um, no, well, I think the, the discussion already has been super amazing. <clears throat> we've just touched on existence. <laughs> we've touched on existence. existence. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I think we've touched on it just literally we've skimmed is the word i think we've just been yes. skimmed on um on life but um i don't know look as i'm writing my book at the moment it's very interesting trying to sort of go over the little snippets and little funny stories and you you do wonder will anyone be ever interested but it's amazing how much stories can touch people you know and uh what what is your book cover? Does it just cover your, uh, your entire life, or, or what's it cover? Well, maybe I should ask for advice while you're here because you're upright. Um, I wasn't quite sure for many, you know, for many months and years actually, I've been wondering how would I present this, what would I, um, and the idea came to me that I was going to initially platform in my book in my country Bulgaria as a psychosocial study of English society from the 90s to the present with my own okay. life as like background because i've got i have uh, some sort of quite shocking stories of day-to-day -day life and what was like on the streets of england and living with the beggars and going around with the homeless heroin addict and you know just this was you know the underground of this beautiful country that everyone was seeing in buckingham palace right. uh, but yeah so but now i'm no longer quite sure you know i was going to put my own cartoons a little bit of um, you know, banter and try and express myself in that book, but I'm not sure how much academia to bring into it and how much personal. So I'm still not as sure as to the balance of the academia versus personal stories and whether should I bring too much theory and then back it up with my life experience or should I not bother with the theory and just do. <laughs> I wonder if you could do more of a um, more of a scientific technical book. And then more of a personal one, uh, a, a different perspective on the same events. You know Ooh. how you personally, subjectively felt, and 
how it was objectively, perhaps. Lord, oh, I see, I see. Sort of looking at it from one point as if you're looking at it as a case study, and then being in the experience. I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that idea. That, that's very much of a more of a sight, you know, like modern day movie, like they bounce between right. different worlds. Um, right. I, I like the case study that that sums it up more succinctly than I put it. <laughs> case study. Um, like it's one big case study, really. <laughs> Is that so? Yeah, but I think by the time I die, I probably I will have to, you know, end up writing a lot. There's been so much observation, and I think people do need to hear. People do want to know, and you never know which language, whose language you're going to be speaking, because you may be speaking the same theories, but because of the way you said it, you'll be a specific person or two or somebody or more that pick it up, because not every teacher is for everybody. You know? Right. Lang languages are such an interesting thing. Um, and honestly, I, I could probably, I could probably sit there and talk about language, just specifically language for hours, because <clears throat> it, it's amazing. It's sort of this, this, it's sort of like this living, breathing thing that evolves along with the society as the society evolves. You know, it, it language becomes more efficient. It gets better at, um, it gets better at compressing information into smaller and smaller words you know we, we find ways to sum things up or make make something more uh, succinct yes. you know you know less is more you know you, it, it's it's such a beautiful thing it's an amazing thing and I've always I've always wanted to study language yes I'm very very passionate actually myself not so much in terms of my understanding of linguistics but more of coming from Bulgaria, learning to speak another language, and now literally dreaming and thinking in another language. Um, I I could not imagine that. That's... <laughs> wow. It, just, it, it seems odd that, like, you, you can pick up a different language as sort of your primary language because you start thinking in it, you start dreaming in it. Um, would you still consider Bulgarian... It, it's Bulgarian, correct? Or my mother tongue i mean immediately when i go there the first week i speak bulgarian very funnily and they all laugh at me but one right it disappears i'm just back on as if i've never left and it's beautiful and I, and I have a friend who speaks fluently four languages and it's just amazing uh, how it expands the brain it somehow does something to the brain I've, I've i've always liked that theory that um different languages make you think differently you know because you um you use these different words and you structure your thoughts differently therefore it you know it makes you think in a different way and i, I don't know have, have you noticed have you noticed a difference between like between um thinking in english or thinking in uh bulgarian um absolutely but just something that somebody pointed a little story that actually uh, underpins this difference in expression and use of language a bulgarian parent asked me in bulgarian um, about the level of their children's English. And they said, oh, uh, what's the way they expressed it, literally translated would have been, what's wrong with my child's English? So as an English person now conditioned in England, I, I replied with, oh, there is nothing wrong with your child. And they looked at me and they said, what do you mean? I was just asking you, is there anything we could improve? And this is when I understood what she meant because I was coming from right. a much form of expression in the English language in terms of, you know, you don't tell somebody there's something wrong, but in Bulgarian language, 
nobody ever thinks about it. It's completely, it's in our language to speak so brashly and openly. Right. Know, uh, right. Is, is that more of a, is that like a language? Would you say that's a language thing or more of a cultural thing? Oh, well, it's a cultural and a language thing. As you said earlier, they're both connected, but the, it seems Bulgarian uh, from what people have studied is a dead, dead language. It's actually not a language that is, uh, you cannot make any new words in that language anymore. And I guess this is in Bulgarian? Them. Yeah. Apparently, there is such a thing. I was reading about it a few years ago. And it, Bulgarian is considered, it's an ancient, it, well, it's, a, it's an old language in itself, but um, it cannot produce any new words. So any new words that are coming up, you're now having to steal from the English language or other countries. It's very interesting. How? Yeah, that's the. How do you declare a language dead? I would like to know that myself, so I might look into it. You just literally my question in my mind. If I want to, I could make a word in Bulgarian. Who stops me? Who is going to speak right. me? Um, right. I mean, I'm, I I write stories as well. I, I, I'm I, I'm a big fan of fantasy, and I like to write my own fantasy stories. And quite often, I create my own uh, I create my own words for my own languages. And if I can if I can do that you know what's stopping someone in that you know that is a native um bulgarian speaker from creating a new word you know legally how do you pronounce a word dead is i mean a, a tongue and its people are one of the same i would i would think I you know? maybe for the dictionary purposes i wonder if it's some official thing for technical purposes only because yes now that you come to mention it anyone why how could you say that how could you say a language is dead but I remember reading it, and my language was amongst the dead languages. <laughs> one one reason I could see using this, you know, these legalities to declare a language dead, I could see it be used for um, oppression. I mean, you, you could you could say that your language is dead. You know, the tongue that you speak, the method by which you communicate cannot be improved anymore it's a dead language we you know and we're declaring it as such so you you assimilate all these other words in the words that come out from outside of the language and gradually slowly over time you destroy the language and you destroy the people they become assimilated and a part of these societies that now speak this universal language and they lose the border of their their culture and their selves yes yes oh i think you just made me i mean i think now that you've said it, it seems that it's quite obvious because i've been oppressed you know for so many years i should have thought of that but i didn't actually realize that absolutely right because a lot of the new english you know for example in bulgaria a lot of the young the younger people now speak half english half bulgarian they're they're not even using the bulgarian words that do exist it's fascinating right. for you to say that, and the oppression again. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Um, it is Bulgarian. Uh, is it mixing more with English, or um, is it mixing more with, like, say, Russian or other? Um... Well, we we were made to speak Russian, so Russian is very similar to Bulgarian. We have the same alphabet, the same Cyrillic alphabet, so Russian doesn't count. Um, okay. But we are mainly uh, the English influence. You can see especially through computing, because Bulgaria is huge on computers. They're very, very, some of the brightest minds in IT have come from there. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, we love books. I think Bulgarians just probably, yeah, who knows why the nations develop like that. 
I mean, it could be a matter of mindset, you know. All these first world countries are falling into um, falling into that victimhood, you know. And then you have these other countries, for instance, Bulgaria, who still has that um, that go-getter attitude, you know. Like we, you know, it's it's our agency. We make, you know, we we define our life. We define our purpose. So they're 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 leaving the country and they're, you know, becoming the greatest minds in the world as far as IT goes. Yeah, yeah. Do you know when? I have to admit, I could talk about my Bulgarian nation as well. We're only 7 million, so we are the size of London in population, but the, the, the size of UK as a country. Um, and it's just some amazing minds have come there. There's a lot of mountainous regions, even some of the tiny shepherds that you meet are feeding their flock. You go into their little house and it might be the walls might be made of mud and they only have a little fireplace for warmth, but they have a um, library. They all have books. Everyone reads. <laughs> Which is something I'm gonna go ahead and uh, preface this. I have never seen a mountain. Never once seen a mountain. Really? Really? Wow. Really? Do you not have any mountains? I'm ignorant of your topography. Uh, do you have not? Um, not in my region of Texas, no, ma'am. I'm from um, I'm from East Texas by the Gulf of Mexico in the United States. Wow. Well, Speaking to you all the way from there. Wow. Sorry, I'm old school. I'm too impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how communications allow me to speak to people all the way across the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean or all the way down in Australia. It's amazing that this has connected the world like it has. And look at what you're doing from a small, quiet place. I mean, Lucas, under no circum, under in any point, did I realize that maybe. You have never seen a mountain because your whole attitude is very mountainous. <laughs> you right. see what I mean? If you're looking from on high, you're looking at the bigger picture. It means that up, then our environment has nothing to do with how far minds and imaginations can go. Yeah, you're proving that. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's I've always wanted to travel. As soon as as soon as I'm able to, I'm about to start because there's so many so many places in the world people i want to meet places i want to see and i just i realize that i like people I, I really enjoy talking to people and not even sharing my own stories i like hearing other people's stories i like receiving information rather than telling people stuff and you ask some very good questions you sort of expand the story and you know you like that you sort of start in one place and you end up in a completely different place that's how life is you know <laughs> um i think it's beautiful um yeah, I've never been, you know, I, I came from Bulgaria, I always wanted to travel, I came to England, I never left. 30 years later, I went to South France, that's the only other place I've been. And see, that's that's actually kind of hilarious that um, you go from you go from the UK to France. The only other state here in the United States that I've been to is um, uh, Louisiana. It's right, right close to us, and Louisiana is, uh, well, there's a lot of Cajun, you know, French-descended people. So, going from an English area to a more French area, like you did, in, you know, England to France, it's, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> so see, it doesn't matter, you know, so many people I speak to, they think I've traveled the world. Once you start talking, they're like, oh, when you tell them, actually, no, I've been knowing the physical. I've just been in my mind and in my curiosity and in my love for life and everything that's going on. And I think that in right. itself, um, it's just beautiful, but uh, it's on my bucket list to travel. So now I'm going to be traveling at the age of 47 and it's okay. You've still got lots of time to be doing 
traveling and you've got time for lockdown and all of this to go down and be over. Yeah. Right. There's there's always you know there's there's always tomorrow. There's always more time. Well, I, you have you have a very intriguing story, and I would love to hear more about it. For example, I could just talk a little bit about the party scene and maybe some of the attitudes here in the UK or the drug culture, which is what I know though, because I'm a different generation. You know, you are a sort of more of um, you know, I've got gamers, I've got friends who are in their early 30s or late 20s who are very, very different from me. And um, you, yeah, I don't know. I hope to God it's in any way sort of valid what I'm saying because I always doubt myself. The older I get, the more I know, the less I'm certain of anything. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, um, it's the more you know, the less you know. <laughs> yes. Right. Every time you, um, every time a question is answered, two more are raised, it seems. Exactly, but that's different from doubting. You know, when we doubt ourselves, this is different from uh, being certain. I don't know, like, do you understand? Not being certain is different uh, in a sense. Not being certain in the place of ease, rather than doubting in, oh my God, you know, this is not going to work well. So it's a different kind of doubting, if I made sense. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Um, uncertainty is more of a, um, more of a lighthearted doubt. Oh, acceptance, the, the state of acceptance of doubt. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the ah, state of you. acceptance of doubt. That is it. That is what my life has brought me to. To be okay in the state of acceptance and doubt. <laughs> I got you. I am being a bit cheeky here, but uh, my sense of humor is a little bit, uh, uh, you know, a bit wacky at times. So, um, yeah, it's good. Sense of humor is one of the biggest things we all need to cultivate. Because if you don't have a sense of humor in life, you're gonna end up in a mental health hospital. Really, really, it is. And like, like, sense of humor and comedy in general. Comedy is what. It, it, it presses a lot of ideologies. It, it's the um, it's the frontier for a lot of you know a, a new way of thinking, and oftentimes, oftentimes comedians are you know they're they're shunned or tabooed because they're saying things and they're talking about things that people don't agree with, and a lot of um, a lot of this victimhood, I think, is um, exacerbated by. The, uh, the lack of humor. Yes, like, yes, yes, absolutely. They take life too seriously. Right. It, it, you know, you can't just laugh, okay? You can't just joke. Nothing's a joke. It, you know, they get offended by everything. And it um, it feeds that victimhood mentality. Absolutely. Instead of a place where we should have laughed and gone, oh my God, aren't we all hilarious, you know? Look at us all humans. And I usually... Right. Yeah, and I find in my own life experience, I very often be that joker... I've been that Bill Hicks is one of my heroes, but I've been the Bill Hicks in my own life. And I love laughing at darkness and, you know, the, we've got to laugh at the darkness. It's the only way we can talk about it. And right, <laughs> right. You, you, you have to make light of a situation, you know, you, 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 you can still, um, you can still talk about some very deep and personal things, but you have to joke about it because it is heavy. It's, it's a heavy topic. And you know when we joke about it, it's a it's a coping mechanism, and that's why I think a lot of anxieties are so elevated is because you know they feel like they can't joke about these things, they they take it too seriously. 
it's it's um it's it's sort of an ego thing. They can't joke about themselves because they get offended, or they can't joke about um other people because they say, oh, they're getting offended. No, I, I don't think anything really is off the table as far as jokes goes because it um it reinforces humility. Exactly. And and when you um when you, when you make it where someone can't joke about you, can't talk about you, um, it's just it's just like kings and queens and uh, other politicians, you know, saying you know you, you you don't talk you don't talk shit basically about your higher ups. And when you do that, it I don't know, it's you lose a lot of communication, you lose a lot of information. Exactly, and this is why coming from a communist Bulgaria where God was not allowed to be spoken about, we didn't speak about sex, we didn't speak about the Communist Party, we didn't speak about conflict, you know, all of these things are just, it made a point of speaking about all of this as I've gone through my life and I've tried to bring up my son to be so open. There's no subject that's taboo. There is nothing that's off the table, as you said just now. And even with him, I would make a joke. And if, even after 18 years of living with me and under these conditions, he still gets, oh, mom, you can't say that about this because what about if they get offended? So he takes responsibility for some strangest feelings. That, right. You know, he, 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 shoulders, he shoulders the emotional burden. You know, which is really strange. You know, even after uh, all the conversations and all the uh, priming and mentoring that I've been doing, he's still so. I think it's somehow in our DNA, uh, Lucas. It's somehow in our DNA that we take responsibility. That this victim mentality, actually, you know, either taking responsibility for you know others being hurt or us being hurt. This thing is in our DNA. Which a lot of people, a lot of people want to be the rescuer. A lot of people have like a like a hero mentality. They want to be the person looked up to, um, f for better or worse. You know, they may have completely selfish or selfless intent, but a lot of people want to be the hero. And they want all eyes on me, and they want attention. Again, beautiful. Again, brings us to the drama triangle. Let's keep this to two hours. It's gone through. You've got my attention span again. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just sorry, what you just said was, um, um, it's as above, so below, you know, it, the whole drama triangle, the whole victim mentality is just everywhere, everywhere you look, every in, in uh, the way the society has been built, has been built on luck, has been built on uh, somebody then either, you know, coming to rescue you with all the answers uh, and somebody we can blame, who is gonna be ultimately would end up being the criminals, the offenders, you know, cause they're not there, even though they are the victims, they're also seen as the persecutors. So you can see what society is built on. I have a question and you could probably answer this question for me. Is this drama triangle a distinctly human thing or do animals do it as well? No, 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 because, well, ah, oh, mm, uh, no, because in animals, there's just, you just live or die, you know? You might have right. to pick another animal and save it, which would mean rescuing in that point, which is okay. You know, if it's life or death, of course you save a friend. Of course you help out a right. friend. But if it's coming from a place where you want to be recognized as the hero and seen as the messiah and the helper, look at Bill Gates. Sorry, no offense to the guy. Uh, yeah, so can you see, this is the rescue of the extreme version of the rescue thing yeah yeah that's a distinctly human thing then it it's a is it, is it compassion like would you call it compassion or what would he's 
what do you think it comes from this this need to be the rescuer or this this desire to be the rescuer yeah okay so the drama triangle which is uh, where humans function from the egoic place from the fearful place is not to be um confused with just basic instincts and basic uh, the drive to belong, you know, this is some very basic human instinct, the need to belong, the need to be part of a bigger whole, uh, the need to show, so compassion, for example, in itself and uh, altruism were socially developed traits in terms of helping the teams, helping society, helping the tribe initially. So again, there right. are values that were built, you know, as society grew, because I think human beings were not compassionate. Is is that um is that sort of one of those things that marketing preys on then is that need to fit in so it preys on trends because it's um it it's sort of this fear of not fitting into something and being an outcast because I mean the outcast the lone wolf dies absolutely and they play the marketing uses the drama triangle all the time look at the adverts and just think what is that appealing to is it appealing to the victim the rescuer the persecutor. You know, are we blaming somebody here? Are we feeling like we need help? Or are we listening about some latest miracle solution? Yeah, so right. even, the, even marketing, they're very, very clever. They've used the psychology, you know, to uh, manipulate and deceive millions and billions of people. I, I would say that fear elicits the, um, the greatest response um, from, from, say, advertising. So that's probably why they play up the, like, the fear in media and which again adds to the victimhood and they probably want you know increased victimhood so that there's increased fear in increased uh, sensational you know sensationalization yeah, yeah, yeah. luck you know we all lacking something is lacking from my life i'm the victim here absolutely. absolutely right and that 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 panic that 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 panic and that fear pushes people to buy 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 which funds this um, this this um, thing that wants us to be victims, so it continues to victimize us. And then, as victims, we are told, "Hey, you want to stop being a victim? Uh, this is what you need, man. Trust me. This is what you need. It'll it'll keep you safe. It'll keep your you know." And they prey on it. You know. Yes, and you know what? Even at my age, with all my especially at my age, actually, from what I'm about to say now, but with all my understanding of this over the years, watching it in communist Bulgaria, studying about it, you know, there I am at the age of 40 something, starting to worry about getting old, you know, and I'm starting this, I'm noticing change, you know, I'm starting to resist a little bit of the change like humans do. And bam, you know, all of a sudden there's the victim in me, you know, I'm resisting the change. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a victim of gravity. That's it. <laughs> that's the end. And even I slightly became a victim to this miracle you know, I'd end up seeing some, like thinking is if Facebook could read my mind, there would be a miracle solution for wrinkles under the eyes. And I found myself almost getting to a point where I was nearly buying the thing, knowing what was going on, knowing that this is all just, um, you know, propaganda and, and again, brainwashing, brainwashing, just of a different nature. And instead of took right, right, because they have the they, they try to um, force you into upholding these beauty standards. They tell you that this is what you have to do. Uh, or they don't outright tell you it's what you have to do, but they, they, they try to insinuate it as much as they can. You know, uh, uphold the beauty standards, because otherwise, you know, you, uh, you fall behind. And it's, that, um, it's the same thing, herd mentality, you know. Mm -hmm. Keep up with everyone else, otherwise you get left behind. And it's, 
it's like this, it's, it's a falsehood is what it is. And again, acceptance, you know, and this is why the radical acceptance, as I was talking to a lady earlier, she said the unconditional love, radical acceptance and right effort were her three major points, you know, but it was the radical acceptance that a lot of life is one of the biggest mysteries. And there is so much of it, so much of it, Lucas, and you are such a beautiful 21 year old. Oh my God, I wish I was 21. Um, as a beautiful 21 year old. Um, just coming into this, but radical acceptance is the only way I managed to get through, you know? As those things started happening and like shit is going on down and people are dying and people are being born and, and just the whole thing, forgive the language. If I used any bad words, I do sometimes use cuss words. It's okay. <laughs> you can you can say whatever you want. I just I, I try not you know I try not to curse around a bunch of people. Yeah, I do in my personal life I do use a good swear word. They're very good for pain management. They I'm a very emotional person. I'm very passionate, and I think swear words really help me to offload some of that built up sort of energy. Right. It's um it's um it's it's a catharsis because you're um. These words are normally taboo or, you know, just kind of frowned upon, but it's um, it's, it's an outlet for frustration. Yeah, yeah, you know, rebel, absolutely, absolutely. You know, even at my age, I don't think, I don't seem to be maturing. You know, I'm still like the same rebel as I was at seven, as I am at 47, and I don't know, I don't know what that's all about. But back on the thing, the radical acceptance is the only way to get through life without ending up in a mental institution, without ending up in severely abusive relationships or uh, without ending up severely depressed, you know? But radical acceptance for abusive relationships is a bit more of a different, finer point. We can talk about that for two hours, for example. You know, you're not to accept right. your abuser and to stay there, but that's another story. So yeah, radical acceptance is the only way to um, just accept that some stuff, it just is what it is. There's no answer. Right. It's um, it's it's taking responsibility for yourself. Oh wow! Oh my God! I've got to accept being 47 and being three years, you know, away from 50. And I think the female population we're a lot more under pressure from commercialism and marketing, and that for females is a big, big thing. Right. You're not going to be able right. to relate, but I know a lot of females do. But acceptance dictates what can you do. Exactly. Exactly, not accept the things that cannot change. And Stressing over it's just going to make you feel bad. It's just going to make you feel horrible. It's something you can't change, so when you accept it, you become at peace with it. Yeah, yeah. And I bet the wrinkles within themselves fall away when you accept your own inner child likeness and embrace your inner kid. <laughs> Amen, hallelujah. I'm not, I'm not religious, but yeah, I'm using that because, I, you know, when I get excited, that's another good way to express. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, beautiful man. I think life, as much as it is painful, um, another little poem of mine, but life, it has an ugly beauty. It's a sea of contradictions, if it's anything at all. It's like new planted tree that constantly uprooted, but all inside it fits, however small. <laughs> there was another little limerick I made once. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you, do you write these down somewhere? Like, um, would I be able to read them? I used to write. I used to, I mean, now I'm writing a lot more prose. I wrote a lot of poetry in my day. I proceeded to lose my poetry in the raging middle of my addiction. I was on heroin and crack, and I had this book that I'd kept for years with all my poetry in, in English. 
you know, obviously I'm in another country. And then I lost the book. Can you imagine? I, I cried like a baby. I remember grieving for the loss of my poetry. And these are just little bits I remember. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My heart goes out to you for losing that. <laughs> I had to start again. And I do remember a few. And I remember a few little bits, but, uh, you know, I've won a couple of little stand-up competitions in pubs around Brighton, England, just standing and reading about life, yeah. But it is a, an ugly beauty, it has life, it has an ugly beauty, and there's no other way to put it. Um, it's just a, really is a major, major contradiction. And right, it's, it's, uh, it's bittersweet, you know, there's, there's good and bad. Um, and just like with every person, there's good and bad in everyone, and a lot of people like to see things as, you know, light or dark when everything's shades of grey. Exactly, you know? exactly, and I'm so sorry this Fifty Shades of Grey stole that name. How could they do <laughs> I know it, I know it. it, it frustrates me to no end, because every time I want to talk about it, I have to preface, no, there's not Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly, <laughs> we're on opposite ends of the world in a sense, but we're using exactly the same references. Yeah, absolutely that. Oh, God. It's funny, isn't it? It's a funny world. Um, but yeah, Lucas, this has been so enjoyable, and I, I love that, you know, just going around full circle, and I think that we could see so many things, and everyone's written all the books, and there's all the teachings. And ultimately, it's just up to us to just find that little toolbox and fill it up with the, the tools that work for us, in a sense. I look forward. I look forward to very many more talks with you. Yeah. It, it, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too, me too. I'm quite inspired, actually, and I'm inspired to write a little bit more. Uh, you've really given me hope in humanity. Really given me hope. I appreciate you. Because recently you've become fatigued from working with victims, like this fatigued. You know, I don't need right. to be, I'm not, I'm not a rescue, but the victim mentality is just big out there. And to see young people just, just wanting to break through any boxes that are there is what I'm living for. What in my older generation, a lot of us are living for. People like yourself, yeah? What is a message that you would, that you would say to people to try to, um, to try to help them through this? People that want to break this victimhood, people that are struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety. What's something you would say to these people? Oh my God, you know, the truth is so simple, Lucas, but unless you go around full circle and see all the complexities of the illusions, you don't seem to be able to grasp the simplicity of the truth. That's the, the irony of life, is that you seem to go through all the chaos and, and confusion of the illusion in order to get to the clarity. So no matter what I say to most, and the one thing I would just, one really on my grave to be honest would be don't trust everything that you think and i picked it up from right. someone else i picked it up from i don't know which of the teachers there's so many teachers out there and the truth is the truth is the truth to be honest you know it doesn't matter what symbols or who's speaking it jesus said that i don't mean to get biblical you know i did spend a bit of time with the bible after being a, an addict um, so you know jesus said that a lot of people need to um a lot of people, in my opinion, a lot of people need to know not to, um, not to be scared to ask why. You know, don't ever be afraid to question something. Oh, question everything. Another one. Question everything. You just said it. Yeah. <laughs> question, question everything. That could be on the gravestone as well. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, another one would be just um, again somebody else used it, but it's a very deep yet very simple com concept. 
follow your bliss follow your bliss a lot of people yeah. have turned this into some sort of law of attraction get rich sort of bullshit forgive the expression right but following your bliss on psychological level neuroplasticity on, on a physical level it creates a good vibe it creates good energy leaves a good imprint which in effect in, in you know it would just affect every area of your life by you just alone following your own bliss man what a simple, simple thing that nobody told me when I was that seven-year-old, struggling to understand why, why is the world so horrible? What's going on here? <laughs> I didn't want this. But and right, it's because it's because people fall into things that are um, the jobs that are unfulfilling. You know, you just you just become like a like a cog in a wheel. It's hard for everyone to you know. Sometimes you have to become the cog, but you could still find your bliss in all of that. You know, you could still be right. clean about go and read the books on Rembrandt. Do you know what? I sat next one day having my homeless lunch. Oh, not my homeless lunch, sorry. I'm having my lunch in my lunch break in between meetings in town. And I sat on a bench and next to me came and sat down the smelliest, most awful looking little guy. And he started speaking. It turned out he was Bulgarian. And you know what his first words were? There is a Rembrandt exhibition down the road. Have you been? These were his words. And, you know, it doesn't matter what our lot is in life and or what the circumstances are. The mind is the final frontier. We can do anything in there. We can be Picasso and watching Rem and just, we can do anything we want, regardless of circumstances in the mind. But this way, he's got to be born first. If he's not born there first, the physical will never catch up, is it? And, that, and that's that's something that I've always told a lot. You know, I've I've tried to tell a lot of people that I've talked to. I've said um, the mind is, you know, the last thing that anyone can take from you. It's it's really the only thing that no one can take away from you. So to be content in your own head, to be happy with your own inner voice, and to be able to. <sighs> to talk with yourself and to speak with yourself and to learn and to be content and happy with learning it's something that nobody can take away from you and that becomes the mission in life look then life becomes so meaningful it's almost like it's okay you know you don't mind what happens then you have have you read man's search for meaning no i'm i'm I'm, I'm incredibly ignorant with a lot of books and i've i've been trying to absorb as many as i can but <laughs> oh, that's okay. This is a very miniature. I didn't realize how tiny the book was. And it's a miniature, miniature case study from the concentration camps. So, what's it, what's it called? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's one of the, again, like the most profound books, is tiny, like The Prophet from Khalil Gibran. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. No ease. F R A N K L. Frankl. Um, it's been right. one of the most profound studies of human nature. And when you see that people can find meaning in their minds in the concentration camps, when the conditions are the more, most horrendous you can ever imagine. That, if that is not an inspiration and a reason to stay on because the human spirit looks, oh my God, I'm like, right now I could see my own shadow and I could see how passionate I'm getting. Like, I can't see myself in the camera, but I could see my shadow in the, in the blackness of the phone um that's it the mind is the final frontier no space forget space it's a lot of empty space and a lot of planets yeah great brilliant but just come back closer to home people <laughs> not that don't believe in you know space exploration but let's explore the mind and the abilities that 
we have if we just like fine tuning that machine oh my god so much conditioning look there's so much conditioning oh there's the life mission is just to strip off the layer just to get to the bit below josh you've been quiet this whole time you, you got anything you want to say i genuinely i've been enjoying listening to this i've been more than happy just sat here listening to it it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation i've loved every second of it i forgot josh you were there <laughs> it's my job to stay quiet <laughs> <laughs> was josh listening i didn't know josh was even listening yeah he's he, he sits in the call with us and um uh, he's he's more than welcome to talk he just likes to be quiet so, I mean, I've got to listen to this all again. <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah, well, I, I edit all. Uh, I edit it all after, so I've got to listen to it all again. But hey, I, I love listening to these sort of things, especially when we've got someone like you on uh, with your stories and and uh, what you bring to the conversations. I I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I I greatly enjoy these talks. Oh, me too. Me too. Can I ask you a parting question though before we go? Because obviously I'm in the business of communicating and listening to people. And every now and again, sometimes very often, it depends, uh, people will just talk. And you have to find a way to almost try and, and keep people on track. Or how do you find in your discussions keeping people on track? Or are you choosing the right people? If you get my um, the, the, uh, the, way, the The way I'm keeping people on track is, I guess, as far as keeping a conversation rolling is um i take a few notes here and there i'll make it make a quick note down about something that um that i don't want to forget or if i can feel the that the um the momentum of the conversation is starting to slow down i will um i'll uh, i'll say oh hey what about this and i will try to pick it up yeah. you, know, you know pick the speed of the conversation back up you again. are very good though because i was you know i literally was just humanly physically losing attention not that i wasn't interested in what was going on and we just came back full circle um but in what about people who talk too much you know people who talk too much how do you cope with that i i i really don't believe that people can talk too much I think people can talk about the wrong thing. Yes. Oh, yes. Good. Po oh, good point. Sorry, that's my question. Yes, that's my question. If people are talking about the wrong thing too much, and you don't know when, to, yeah. And and it can be it can be, you know, twenty seconds worth, or it can be two hours worth. But if you're talking about the wrong thing, then it's the wrong thing. Okay. And generally, unless prompted, talking about yourself is the wrong thing. Okay. Unless people want to know about you, it's the wrong thing. You know? It's it, you, you should always be listening, be willing to hear other stuff. And if people want to know about you, then share. But unless people asked, nobody cares. Yes, my darling. Yeah, because people have their own stories, and most of the time, everyone's too busy trying to live their own lives. And when you're quite an expansive sort of maybe more resilient human for whatever reason you know it's yeah i've had to work with a lot of people who just talk and talk and talk about the wrong things and you know that in itself has been over the years i've had to perfect my art of shutting people up <laughs> i'm very good at shutting people up um <laughs> but in a nice way you know in a nice way so they still feel, feel valued and um but it's right. it seems it's 
seems to me like a lot of people don't want an answer. They just want to talk. They don't want to learn. They, they're, they're full of themselves and they just want to share. And they have nothing really of value to contribute. They just feel the need to talk. Oh, and I bless them. And you know, they're so, so, some beautiful people that I know are just like that. And I found way right. to jokingly sway the conversation and have a little break before they start talking again. <laughs> but it's okay, you know, as long as we come from a good intent and we still sort of love them and wish them good. What's another word for bless? You know, rather than using the word bless, rooting for, what other word can you use instead of the word being blessed or blessing? Um, are you talking bless as in, um, let's see, like rooting for someone? People think I'm religious because they use the word a lot. And they start mistaking me for being religious. And I'm, oh, no, no, not blessed as in Catholic blessed. But in, um, support. Oh, I support you, you know, be supported or be blessed. No, it doesn't have the same sounds. It's okay. No, it's okay. I'll just stick with blessed. Let them think what they want. All right. I will, I'll, I'll ponder on that, though. I'll see if I can't come up with a, a close enough approximation to it. Some of the science fantasy world. Yeah. Some of the, yeah, the olden science fantasy thing, you know? Yeah, maybe there's some beautiful words out there. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be happy to hear a word. Alternative word for, work for blessed. <laughs> An alternative word for blessed. Yeah. Put that on my grave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh my God, this has been lots of fun. Thank you so much, you beautiful young people. You're making me feel young. Um, I, I appreciate you very much. And thank, thank you so much for coming on as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Speak again. Speak again. I'll see you no doubt to the ether. I'll day in the ether. All right. Bye bye. Thank you, Josh, or the Silent Warrior. Thank you. <laughs>